Hey everyone, this is Wesley Town. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Better Days Season 3. Today I have Dave Hughes with us. Dave is a pastor at Westside AJC, the church that Phil and Diane Comer and John Mark Comer started. Westside helped us start Ecclesia in 2008. At that time, Westside was the fastest growing church in Oregon and has since had a huge influence in the realm of starting churches and actually launching a network of churches called AJC Network. So Dave works there. He's also a former basketball player. We have to talk about that. (laughs) And he has so much to share with us through his story of being a father to a daughter, Rachel, with special needs. Dave, I'm so glad you joined us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us a few fun facts about you. So I'm, I've been married almost 34 years to my bride. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so it'll be 35 in August, and I have three kids. Um, Jordan is 29. Uh, I've been married about seven years. About to uh, be a dad for the first time come July, so I'll be grandpa. Congratulations. There's my daughter, Ashley, who's actually the whole oldest. She's uh, 30. She's getting married in June to a great guy, and I get to officiate her wedding. We have a lot to celebrate this summer. And then I have Rachel, who is, she'll be 28, hard to believe, uh, come March 2nd. And uh, so she's the one who has special needs, born with Down syndrome, and has had a slew of uh, medical issues and stuff, but has taught us, uh, people always say that we've taught her a ton, but she's taught us way more than we've taught her. And so um, I live in Portland, Oregon. I started out working in industry, worked in industry for about 28 years. And then uh, Phil and John Mark asked if I would come uh, at that time to what was called Solid Rock, a Jesus church, and uh, handle all the people care, which was weddings and memorials and hospital visits and stuff like that. And I was already an elder, didn't have any, I still don't have any uh, Bible school background or seminary background. So I learned like many other people, uh, from surrounding myself with people who are way wiser than me on theology and just reading and um, learning as much as I can. That's amazing. You got you got to tell us about your basketball career because you were a baller. I was a baller. Yeah. So I, I played basketball in high school. Uh, wasn't early on like I got cut from a middle school team because I was I was just growing too fast and was really uncoordinated. But uh, the high school coaches knew that I had two older brothers who were like six six to six seven range and hated basketball. And then I came along and loved it. So they looked at me as a project and uh, really helped me to improve a lot. And um, was all conference my senior year. Uh, Went to a junior college where we played a lot of the colleges in California, JC Ball, and went to the state tournament both years and stuff. And so just we got knocked off in the semifinals or otherwise we would have taken, we would have had the opportunity to play for the, in the state finals and stuff. And so there were some great players uh, in the JC uh, circuit. So like Mark Eaton was playing division one of JC ball and we were, we were division two. So we got to watch him play. It was crazy to see him play, you know, this giant in the middle of the key oh, yeah. and stuff. And so I uh, didn't play four year ball. I was just getting injured too much. And, uh, but I had the opportunity to, be a part of a young life basketball team that went to the Philippines to play over there for like four weeks. And then Phil Comer and I played for a sports ambassador team, uh, athletes in action, uh, 
affiliation, I think, uh, that went to the Philippines for about five weeks and played, I don't know, a ton of games, uh, over 60 games in about a five-week span over there. Wow. That is a lot of wear and tear on the joints. But we had a lot of fun. We were young then. We could do that. (laughs) Okay, the real question is, was Phil good when he was young? Phil, if you ask Phil today, I thought Phil was good, but Phil would say he always hated it when I showed up because I would block his shot. And I always looked at him and said, I loved it when (laughs) you showed up. (laughs) But we had a lot of fun together. That is so awesome. I'm so glad that you are going to share your story. To be honest, I wanted you on this show because I knew I was going to be encouraged and blessed by you. You uh, have a lot of wisdom. Uh, You work with people all the time. And you've dealt with pain and hardship in your own life, um, which can develop a lot of depth in a person. And so uh, I would love for you to share your story with us of being a father to a daughter with special needs and just kind of anything you want to share would be really helpful. I'll be 60 years old. When my kids were being born, I was a guy who avoided hardship avoided difficulty. I didn't want any part of it, as most people don't. Some of the struggles we went through early on were infertility. Our oldest daughter, Ashley, is adopted, and that was just an amazing experience, but it was hard, too, in many ways. And then we had Jordan. 13 months later, we got pregnant unexpectedly. So we had two kids within a year. And then 22 months later, uh, Rachel was born. And I remember... I remember vividly just that day she was born in distress and they showed Vicky, Rachel, and then they whisked her out and I followed them down the hall. Wow. We were blessed with like a really godly pediatrician and he came up and he looked at Rachel and we were standing to the side and I remember him looking at us and it wasn't one of rejoicing. You know, I could see it in his face and I remember thinking something's wrong and he We came over, he talked to us and just told us that she had Down syndrome and that she was going to bring us greater joy than you would ever expect, you know, and he was just loving and compassionate and kind. And I've heard some horror stories of parents who have had a child with either Down syndrome or disability of some sort where they haven't gotten that from the doctor. So we feel real fortunate that we had that from a guy who was loving and compassionate. But she was in the hospital for a week, um, had two holes in her heart that most of us have in our heart when we're born, but they close off and hers didn't close off right away. So they were keeping an eye on her, but they stuck my wife down at the end of the hallway, <laughs> you know, of all the other moms. And my, my wife knew that she was different, you know because she was stuck at the far end of the hallway, out of the way of all the other uh, moms who uh, were rejoicing. And I remember going home and just crying my eyes out and thinking, God, this is too much. And and inner dis- knowing that she was in distress, there were prayers that I prayed that just, I'm shocked I even prayed them that day, but they were where I was at emotionally. And I thought, this is too much. For my wife, this is too much for my kids, this is too much for my family. Lord, take her. Take her home. I cry when I say it now even because that was a selfish prayer and stuff. And so I went through these emotions of when I was home, I would struggle and I would pray, God, take her. And then I'd go up to the hospital during that week. And every time I was at the hospital, I was holding Rachel and I'm, I'm like all of a sudden getting attached to my daughter that I wasn't attached to before. My wife was attached for nine months because she's carrying this child and I'm I'm learning about attachment and stuff. And the more I held her, the more I just realized this, this little girl needs me and stuff. And so we came home a week later 
And I remember she's still in distress to a certain degree. And we had a nurse come in and uh, had to poke her for blood tests and stuff, a home care nurse. And I remember she had to poke her like three or four times because uh, kids with Down syndrome have low muscle tone. And by the third poke, I was ready to hoist this nurse up and just throw her out the door, man. <laughs> I was like, you're hurting my daughter, you know? And so I think that was the start for me of like, this is my daughter. This is my daughter who I care about. And and my kids were young. Ashley was three and Jordan was two. And like um, Jordan would come over with his um, cars, you know, like his matchbox or Hot Wheel cars. And he'd like place them at her feet. I just watched him bring these toys to her, you know, and thinking he doesn't see anything different in her and stuff. And then that night, uh, first night home, Ashley uh, wanted to go up and see Rachel because Rachel was asleep upstairs in our room in our bassinet. And, and I said, okay, let's go. And so we went upstairs, sat on the edge of the bed, had a low light uh, in our room. And I placed Rachel in Ashley's arms at three years old. And I'm watching Ashley kiss Rachel on the head. And she looks at me and she goes, do you love her? And I'm like, yeah, so yeah, you know, right? I don't even know if I said anything. I think I just looked at her and nodded my head, you know, and then she's kissing on her again. And the second time she looks at me and she goes, do you love her? You know, and I, I nodded my head and then she goes back to just loving on her again. And she looked at me a third time and she says, do you love her? And I said, Ashley, I love her you know, and stuff. And for me, it was like one of these moments, almost like, uh, Jesus with Peter, you know, <laughs> do you love me? You know, and do you trust me? And do you believe me? And it's easy to say that, uh, I said all the right things that God doesn't make mistakes, you know, but I'm not sure I was totally believing it until that moment, you know, and then the realization of she's my daughter. And so, from there, we just did things together as a family and we didn't treat, we knew she was different, but we, we try not to treat her way different, you know, <laughs> and we still loved on her. We still roughed house with her, maybe a little bit carefully, more carefully and stuff. And, you know, we knew thing, there were things that we had to do to help her develop, but she had an older brother and older sister and they helped in that too, you know, and they really taught us how to love her and not to see things they didn't see Down syndrome, you know, our kids didn't see Down syndrome. They didn't see special needs. They just saw their sister, you know, and it helped me to see my daughter, you know. And so I still remember going to a, a Down syndrome support group. Uh, they had a group in town. And so Vicki and I went to that and it was maybe six to eight weeks into Rachel's life. And we went there and it was a lot of couples with older kids and stuff. And and they were sharing and talking and, um, but it was an interesting meeting. You know, the parents were like, it was, we, we were learning how to rejoice in the fact that we had a daughter with special needs. And there were families there who had eight year olds and 10 year olds and 12 year olds who still weren't rejoicing, you know, they still weren't rejoicing. And I remember that troubled me and stuff. And Vicki and I went to our car, we sat in our car and I looked at her and I said, uh, you know, I really care about these parents and stuff, but I don't know that I need this. Do you need this? And she goes, I don't think I need this, you know? And it's because our filter was so much different, you know? Uh, we relied on our faith so much more. Uh, you know, you don't realize how important your faith is until you, you really need it, you know, in those moments of, 
of distress and grief and hardship and mourning. And, and you realize that God has not abandoned you. And so, um, those were, those were big things. Rachel's had a slew of health things. So like Down syndrome is a small, small part of it and stuff. Um, she's had Hirschsprung's disease, which is a colon disorder that was at one and a half. So at one and a half, she had a, uh, it's a, basically it, you don't have the cells in your colon to be able to push and go poop, you know? And so, um, she had a section of her colon removed and she had a temporary colostomy. So she was bagged for about six weeks and it was supposed to be temporary. And at, at, at six months, I mean, it was supposed to be there for six months. And so, uh, at six months, uh, we went back in to do a surgery to have it reattached and the, uh, her platelets were low and they said they couldn't do surgery to reattach her colon because she would bleed out on the table. And we're like, what the heck, you know? And so through that, they discovered that she had leukemia. So had she not had the Hirschsprung's disease, they never would have discovered who her leukemia until it was too late. People are like, Oh, leukemia. Oh my goodness. You know, and she had the adult form of leukemia. Uh, and so kids with down syndrome have a higher incidence of leukemia and they also have a higher incidence of staying in remission if they go into remission with leukemia. And so Rachel's been in remission for the better part of almost 26 years, you know? Uh, and so she went through treatment for six months, really intense treatment. Um, she, the biggest risk with any cancer, uh, including leukemia is like infection. Uh, you don't necessarily, you, that's what you usually die from. And so her infection, her worst infection, uh, believe it or not, was on her bottom, you know? And the interesting thing was, is that everything was going up through her bag up on, on her hip, basically, you know, and not going through her bottom. So she had no exposure to, uh, you know, anything being exposed down there, you know? So, uh, that was an amazing thing. And she recovered from her leukemia. She went into remission. Uh, I, I think we just both struggled at times with, I know I struggled with anxiety attacks right after that period of time and some depression. Uh, that's a whole nother story. It took me some, a while to get through it. And I learned just by serving other people, uh, not focusing on my own situation that that was had huge healing in my life. She's had, uh, she has Crohn's disease to this day. She was diagnosed with that at 10 years old. And so she gets a, a belly shot every two weeks of Humira, uh, to help with that, <clears throat> but she's immunosuppressed. So, uh, so you're immunosuppressed if you have, um, down syndrome, you're immunosuppressed having gone through cancer like she did with the chemotherapy and uh, then you're on an immunosuppressant drug. And so you have to be careful if she's got a virus or something like that, uh, not to give her the Hibera and stuff. And then uh, about four years ago, she had pneumonia really bad, almost took her life um, in the hospital. In fact, I had had hip surgery just a few days before. And then she went in the hospital like three days later with just a really bad, bad bout of pneumonia. And so she's more susceptible to pneumonia now and stuff. And then the final thing that happened as if that wasn't enough. So I would say she's 20, almost 28 now when she was about 17 or 18, she started going, she used to be very verbal, 
but she started going silent, you know, started going quiet. She wouldn't interact and she wouldn't respond to me the same way. And I remember thinking, what is going on? You know, and so the doctors then uh, figured that she is going through like a dementia related thing. Uh, because with Down syndrome, you tend to go maybe a little quieter as you grow older and stuff. With her, it was happening earlier, you know, and so they think maybe it's related to the Down syndrome and it's related to the chemo drugs that she had and stuff like that. So she's had a ton, and those are those are the hard things that that you hear. You know, I'm sharing that, and you, the tendency is to go, "Whoa," you know, but. There has been so many, she has enriched our lives in so many ways. Uh, I could spend days sharing about that. You know, I look at my own kids and my kids, uh, my older two kids, I always wondered, are we giving giving them enough attention? Are we giving them enough time? And, you know, we asked our kids there and they, they they always said, we felt like we got tons of attention and tons of time. And and things like that. And they're compassionate people like Jordan and Ashley are, if they see somebody with special needs or they see somebody with an illness, they walk towards it. They don't walk away from it, you know? And that wasn't something that I, I taught them. I, I think God taught them that through, through Rachel and, and really Rachel has, her life has expanded Vicki and my ministry, just like the things that you're going through with your wife have expanded what you guys do together as well. And so it's, it's really been, it's been rich in a lot of ways. I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. You know, I wouldn't want anyone else to go through this stuff, but I wouldn't trade. I'd trade the moments of seeing my daughter suffer and not wanting her to suffer, but I wouldn't trade the things that I've learned, you know, in those moments, they're too valuable. They're too rich, you know? And I think the tendency is this, to think that God's abandoned you and the realization is God hasn't abandoned you. God's growing you. God's teaching you. Yes. When you talk about wisdom, you know, I don't know if I have wisdom. I know God has wisdom and that's where it comes from. There's so many things that you said I, I can relate to. I think you become comfortable with pain when you've seen it and you're around it, uh, which enables you to have like a deeper compassion and love for people. Thank you for sharing all that. You said something really, really profound to me that Rachel has taught you more than you've taught her and impacted your life more than you've probably impacted hers. Why don't you share some of those lessons that you learned from her and also just your favorite things about her? Well, you know, I, I say there's just things that I wish I could remember back more. I wish I had written down more things. Rachel was just, you know, Down syndrome. They're so, kids are so loving and stuff. And so, like, I would look at Rachel and, and kind of jokingly go, jokingly go, I'm a bad dad. You know, <laughs> maybe that's something I should say. But I knew what the response would be. She'd grab, she'd clasp her hands over my face and she'd go, no, you're a good dad, you know, and stuff. <laughs> and, 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 I love and then that. I'd say things like, I'm an old man. And all of a sudden I'd hear her go, yeah, you are, <laughs> you know, and stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, she had a, she had a really strong sense of humor and, and I do a lot of humor. I'm, I'm big on humor and stuff. And so, uh, I want to laugh more than I cry, I guess, <laughs> you know? And so there were those moments and stuff. And, you know, even even now in her what her what I refer to as her silence, you know, she's not as verbal anymore. 
And but she'll copy what you say, so you have to be careful. We highly filter any movies she watches and stuff. But uh, you know, she, I have what I refer to on social media as Rachel's quote of the day. You know, and so I'll, I'll share a quote of the day from Rachel, something she's said probably from a movie. But sometimes she'll just she'll just say things that makes you aware that she's there, and people think she's not in there mm-hmm. anymore and stuff. And like at Halloween, I'm known for getting these costumes, these elaborate costumes that I answer the door with kids, you know, not scary ones. I'd had Olaf one year, I uh, had Abominable Snowman one year, I had a Stormtrooper one year and stuff. And so like I was dressed up in my Halloween costume, eager to greet the first kids at the front door one year. And my wife is sitting on one couch opposite of me on the left-hand side and Rachel's sitting on the other side on the right-hand side. And Rachel had been pretty quiet. And all of a sudden, I looked down at Rachel, and she looks up at me, and she looks over at Vicky, and she goes, and you're okay with this? <laughs> you know? And it was just a really funny moment that she was looking at my costume, telling my wife, are you sure about this guy? You know? And so there's moments like that. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. But, you know, Rachel is accepting and loving of everyone, and we're in a culture of, you know, we're, we're looking at how we've done things in the past in our society, whether it's, you know, racially or any other way, you know, little, all sorts of cultural things that we failed in, you know, in our history and our culture uh, of America and stuff. And I look at Rachel and I think she doesn't fail in any of that stuff. She doesn't care who you are. She doesn't care what color you are. She doesn't care if you've been good to her or bad to her. She loves you no matter what, you know? And so that's a continual reminder of me. I mean, she's, she shows me more of Jesus than I show her is what I say, you know, because she's just accepting of everyone. She doesn't, she doesn't care about your past. Um, she doesn't care if you've hurt her. She's, she just loves you. And stuff and so that for me that's a big thing you know a reminder of quit judging people uh don't look at the outside look at the heart and continue to love people you know and love people well so that's a big thing that she's I love me. that so good what what encouragement would you give parents whose children are suffering it's it's such a painful unexpected reality when you're a parent and you see your child suffering and you guys have been through so much um, as you kind of processed out Rachel's story um, and all the medical challenges that she's faced. You've probably learned a lot along the way that you look back in retrospect and say, okay, like here are the things I would encourage parents in. Yeah. You know, if I were sharing bits and pieces, I think, you know, the biggest thing to remember is God's not punishing you. Remember thinking, you know, God's, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, and he didn't do anything wrong. Yes. God's not punishing you. I think God's growing you. I've always had those moments of rest, you know, in the midst of all of that, just to be able to kind of look back on what we've gone through, look forward to the future. Because I, I do look forward to the future with Rachel. I don't know what Rachel's future looks like. She, I could outlive her. There's, there's a definite possibility of that. But I don't, I don't pitch my tent there. You know, I, I'm constantly moving forward. And I love that. Grieve in the moment. Uh, 
give it to God and move forward. And, and people will tell me, you don't, you don't seem like you grieve. And I'm like, I do grieve. I, you just don't see me grieve. I grieve when I lay my head down on my pillow at night. I grieve in the shower a lot when no one's listening and stuff like that. But I've also learned to move forward quicker, I think. And so I'll grieve. I got, you got to grieve. You have to grieve it. Uh, you know, otherwise it's just storing up within you. And so grieve it and continue to move forward. And so that's what I've tried to do. That's what works for me. Uh, Mm. also you, you grow a whole new friend, friend base, you know, you'd be become part of a club you didn't want to become a part of, but that's okay. You, there's friendships that, uh, just grow and grow from that. So there's people that you think are going to come alongside you who don't, they just don't know how, you know, maybe in that moment, maybe it'll come later and stuff. But then there's other people that come along that you totally unexpectedly and, uh, they're there for you, you know? And so I don't know if you know, Doug and Terry Rathke, uh, good friends of ours, uh, since Ashley was born, you know, because Ashley was adopted and both their kids were adopted and we had a connection. And so they've, they've been by our side for, uh, 30 plus years now we've been good friends our our kids are friends and stuff and so they've been by our sides uh, the Newells, I don't know if oh yeah love Tom the Newells. Danita, we've known them for years and years the comers phil and diane you know and so um they've been our friends and and others do so we've never felt like we've done this alone so the the tendency is to want to withdraw but i would say step into relationships with people, there will be people that you have to make feel comfortable with what you're dealing with and stuff. And that's true in any scenario. And, and there's times where you'll think this isn't fair. They should make me feel better or make me feel comfortable. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that you have to make them feel comfortable because they're not part of your world and they're not dealing with special needs. And the more you spend uh, helping them com- become comfortable, then mm-hmm. they're your ally. You're, they're your friends and stuff. And, and so you have relationships, you, you know, we all think we don't need community in our social media culture until you actually do need it, you know? And, and so I would say step away from the social media culture as much as possible. Uh, you know, uh, there's some benefits to it, but step into the face-to-face and the conversations and uh, the people that you need and who need you too. They need your perspective. On That's things. so good. And so um, those are huge. I mean, it expands your ministry. It expands what you do. So like I would never darken the door of a hospital in my twenties and in my thirties, wouldn't go near a hospital if I could avoid it and stuff. And then, uh, as we started, uh, the church, you know, Phil and John Mark asked me to come on and do people care mainly because I was already doing it as an elder. I was telling them, Hey, I passed by all the hospitals on the way home. And if somebody's in the hospital, just let me know and I'll go visit. So I would go visit all these people on the way home from work and uh, just encourage them and pray for them. And and so then they asked me to come on as a pastor uh, to do that with Solid Rock. And uh, and that's because, not because of me, that's because that's mm-hmm. what Rachel did. That's what mm-hmm. Rachel taught me to do and stuff. So uh, it expands your ministry. Uh, you're I'm, I feel like I'm continually growing. So uh, she's, she's done a lot of that for me, for my wife too. You know, she's got a great ministry 
to women. Women are drawn to her just because of the joy that she has. I wake up every morning to my wife singing, okay? And my wife is singing. She used to sing to all our kids, but we have Rachel who lives at home and stuff. And so Rachel is pretty, she functions pretty well on her own. She follows directions and stuff, but you have to get her up in the morning. You have to get her on the potty. She goes, we know we have to get her on every two to three hours, you know, during the day. And she'll go, you know, and then we get her in the shower. She gets her in the shower, bathes her and stuff, brush her teeth, gets her downstairs, fixed her food. And Rachel will feed herself. But the whole time when I'm waking up in the morning, I'm hearing my wife singing to Rachel. And she has every reason not to sing to Rachel. She could she could be saying, this is too much. This is more than I can handle. And she does it with joy. I'm not saying it's easy and stuff, but she does it with joy, you know. And so every morning, 24-7, for 28 years, she she gets up and sings to Rachel. And it's not like she's getting a full night's sleep either because of Rachel's lung conditions. Rachel's coughing during the night, so Vicky's up two or three times during the night like uh you're dealing with a young you know uh, newborn you know <laughs> so uh but she just does it joyfully uh, and that's a rem- my wife ministers to me when i when i hear that in the morning stuff so many things that you just said are packed full of wisdom just highlighting i'm thinking a few that i can so relate to i think what you said about you grieve you grieve in the moment it comes in waves. You never know when to expect it. But then you have to learn to keep moving forward. You have to mm-hmm. learn to keep living life. Sometimes in the midst of yep. compounding suffering, we feel like life is stopping or we get so enveloped in our suffering that we lose our purpose and our identity. And I think what you said was just so profound and important for parents or anybody who's facing yep. a long season of pain and suffering. We grieve. Make sure you do that. It's healthy emotionally. It's healthy for your soul. And then we also move forward. And then another thing you said that all all of it was amazing, but um, we need people. Uh, We can't go through suffering on our own. And sometimes we find that the people who we thought would support us the most don't. But then unexpectedly, there's these other people that come into our lives that we would have never thought of that come in and become so faithful, so caring, so compassionate, and really kind of in the trenches in our life, uh, loving us in our messiness of suffering, because suffering is messy and hard and painful. So I think that that is really important for people who are listening just to be encouraged um, about. And then I just love your perspective, like such a redemptive perspective of how when you're watching your kids suffer, there's so much influence that you gain from your child who's suffering. Um, obviously, there's pain and there's hardship, but you learn a lot. You're shaped by it. You're formed by it in ways that you would have never been formed. As a result, as a leader, so if leaders are listening to this and you're walking through pain and suffering in your family, as you walk through that and people hear your story, what happens is the same as what Dave said, your influence broadens and grows because people can relate to hard stuff. People are inspired, even though we would never choose it. Like, I don't 
I don't want my wife to suffer. I don't want her to live the entirety of her life with pain and all the other conditions that she has besides just like the injuries and pain from her car accidents. However, that that has so shaped my life. You know, our story of pain and suffering that I get to share is really relatable to people and it connects with people on a deeper level. And so, man, I'm so grateful for you, Dave. And all that you're sharing with us. I would love just to know real quick, how have you found hope and encouragement in the midst of this? Because some people would listen to your story or my story and they would say, how do you have any hope or how do you have any joy or encouragement as you're walking down this path? That's a good question. You know, and I think for everyone, it's different. Um, Obviously, I'm always turning to scripture and stuff. And so scripture that didn't mean much to me before Rachel means a whole lot to me now and stuff. And so like there's there's scripture from Exodus talks about the Israelites leaving Egypt. And it says basically saying that they were leaving competently. It's the end of Exodus 13. And, and then it says that God didn't lead them on the shorter path through Philistine country, you know, because he knew they weren't ready. It says they led them on the desert path, you know. And I read that that scripture and I both love it and hate it. Because if you're like hmm. me, I like the I like the shortest path. I like the path of least resistance. I don't want the longer path. I don't want the harder path. <laughs> I want the easier path. Yes, all of us. And he didn't give them that, mainly because they wouldn't have learned the things they needed to learn. You look at Exodus 14, it says they looked up. So they looked away from God, and they saw Pharaoh's armies, chariots, horses, horsemen, and they started to panic. They started to get afraid. And so the minute you look away from God... You start getting afraid. And I have to constantly remember that in the midst of hospital visits with Rachel, you know, Rachel, uh, we had two in the fall, you know, and I never know if she's going home uh, when we go there and stuff. And so I have to constantly look towards God and remember that he's leading the way and going before me in the midst of the worst. Hmm. So good. Joshua three and four. I remember reading Joshua three and four after Rachel was born and weeping. And I love the book of Joshua for some reason, but I read that section and I just weeped because they were crossing through a flood and all of us are crossing through floods. We'd like to think we're not, but we're all crossing through a flood. And if you haven't, you're going to at some point in time cross through a flood. And I remember reading about um, the priests uh, taking the Ark of the Covenant and leading the way and the waters parted. So God led the way, you know, and the waters parted in the midst of the flood. And then it says they passed on dry ground. So, and they stayed in the middle of that section of the river so that they could part on dry ground. And they went to the other side. And as, as the ark followed them and they, the ark got to the other side, the water went back to where it was supposed to go as it was before. And I just remember reading that of like, Oh my gosh, they're now looking back to the place where they started, where they thought it was impossible. And now uh, they're realizing they got to the other side and they can look back and they can they can see all the things that God has done. So oftentimes when you're starting in the midst of a flood, you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? How, what's going to happen? And then you pass through and you look back and you see all those things that God has done and you realize that he didn't abandon you. He was with you the whole time. And so the reminder that God goes before you, stands beside you and follows you, he's all around you. That was a huge thing. And then the rocks that they bought, brought out of the river 
uh, a stone for each tribe. I know there's a tendency to think of it as a small stone, but I think of it as a huge stone, a huge burden they were carrying across to the other side. And they made it across with God. And then they, they, they're stones of, of remembrance, you know, stones of hope, uh, of remembering what God has done. Because you get through one flood and then you face another flood or you might face another flood after that. And it's easy. I'm surprised how easy it is to forget. Even as I share here talking to you, there's things, it's easy to forget what God's done. And so you have to constantly look back at those stones of remembrance and remember God's done amazing things. I got proof of it right here. You walk through uh, her birth, uh, her Hirschsprung's disease, her leukemia, her Crohn's disease, her pneumonia stuff, her hospital issues, all those things God is is leading the way on. Wow, so many good things. I mean, those are realities that we've learned. You know, God is with us. Keep moving forward. Uh, you're going to you're going to gain a lot out of it. It just doesn't feel like it. You know, you don't want it, but it it does change you and shape you. And there's many yep. blessings along the way. So thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you for sharing the story. What a hard, painful, yet hopeful and encouraging and valuable story for all of us to listen to. And you can follow along uh, with Dave's story on his Instagram. (laughs) My Instagram handle is Rachel's dad. (laughs) Rachel's dad. Um, And he posts quite often. He was just in Disneyland with Rachel and his family, having a great time, enjoying and celebrating life. Life doesn't stop. So you keep you keep investing, you keep celebrating, you keep enjoying life to the best of your ability, even in the midst of pain. Thank you for being on fellow pastor, fellow baller, fellow sharer in suffering. Um, We can relate on so many levels. We're really grateful. And Thank you for listening to this episode of Better Days. Make sure to check out next week's episode. Much love to you. Thanks again for joining me. I hope you were encouraged. I would love for you to help me to spread the word to bring hope for better days to as many people as possible. You can send a link to your family and friends, post something on your social media, and write a review on iTunes. Thank you for your support. I can't wait for you to join with me again next week for another episode of Better Days.